welcome to the Daily Decision Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to men, men who are tired of chasing and finding emptiness, men who want to find true fulfillment in everything they do. In this podcast, you will learn to achieve success in the key areas of your life, physically, emotionally, in family, and in business. Remember, it all starts with a decision. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Daily Decision. I'm your host, Michael Chabot, and today we have the pleasure and honor of having Mark Maneri join us. Mark is known for his extraordinary listening and language mastery that has his clients experiencing him as a committed and trusted ally. Mark's coaching has been focused around working with some of the most accomplished and successful salespeople and leaders and their teams. Prior to founding his successful individual coaching practice, he joined and led a startup sales training and coaching company and grew the business 20-fold over a five-year period. Since exiting that business, Mark has been a self-employed coach, supporting his clients to achieve remarkable results that they never thought possible. Some of these results include more than doubling top-line revenue, acquiring industry-best human resources, creating inspiring cultures that dramatically increase team member retention, teaching language and communication mastery, and saving marriages. A committed, lifelong learner, Mark has worked with some of the world's most recognized and sought-after coaches, including Brandon Craig. Mark, finally, welcome to the show. Yes. So <laughs> good to be here, man. Dude, you look so good. You sound so good. It uh, feels really good to be with you right now. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, and uh, we'll share. We had some technical resistance, but we fought through it. We got to it, and uh, I always like to ask this question first. So when people find out what you do, what is the first question they always ask? Well, let's see. Well, often it's their own – it's a statement before a question, mm. and the statement is them – um, surmising their own experience of coaching or what they've heard about coaching. And it'll be something like, Oh, so you do duh, 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 duh. And that is going to be unique to their own experiences, different with everybody. And then likely my response is mm, not, not quite. And then the question is, Oh, so well, what is it then? So um, how I would respond to that is I work in the domain of leadership. And it's my experience that people produce results in their life through leadership first and foremost. And I work with people in a way that helps them get access to the leader in them so that they're, you know, out producing the things in their life that they desire to produce. It's consistent with what they want. That's a great answer. I love that. That's good. Mm -hmm. So look, I'll, I'll, I'll frame this for the listeners is that Mark and I know each other. We work together. He was my coach for a period of time. He's amazing. Um, he's got the biggest heart that you could ever imagine. He truly loves people and loves to help. And so I know that he has so much knowledge that he can bring and help, especially at a time when a lot of people are suffering right now, um, not just physically, but mentally. And so the first thing I want to talk about, Mark, is, is your own routines and habits. Like, talk about what you do, especially during this time, 
but we're all having to adapt to kind of stay on target, stay focused and continue to create and help others. Yeah. So I love that question. And I do think that, you know, even from a high level, Michael, like having structure and routine, something that you, that you can teach your brain, it can count on happening, will calm the central nervous system in a way that just, just having some level of routine or pattern um, is useful to calm the central nervous system and, and just feel better because there's a little more certainty there for the brain. And what that looks like for me is, is not necessarily anything different given the onset of COVID-19, but maybe more doubling down on it. So something that I have developed as a habit in the morning, uh, two things. One is the first thing I do, you know, when I get out of bed is I meditate. Mm. And that used to be a real struggle for me. I used to, you know, hear about the value and the benefits of meditation. And man, I could, I was, I was either not interested or I tried to be interested and I just couldn't get there. And then, you know, I, I, one thing that's contributed to my transcending that and getting to this consistency is I would just do it for at least one minute. I thought to myself, I can do this for at least one minute because I don't care how pressed for time I am or how much I was resisting it or you know, thought it was silly or wasn't for me. I could handle one minute. And after I did one minute and then one minute, and then I go to two minutes and then three minutes. Well, now I'm at 20 minutes and uh, minimally. And so that routine is really, really useful for me, really valuable for me, quiets my mind, uh, just is the rudder for the day. It just sets, you know, my mindset and my, like how I'm occurring for myself is just peaceful and calm. And then I'm find myself meditating throughout the day now, at least once, sometimes even more often. And, and, you know, maybe not even calling it meditation at times, sometimes just sitting still and being quiet and slowing down. So that is a big routine. And then for sure, what's always been for me is moving my body and exercising. Um, I have an intention to hike across the Grand Canyon uh, later this year in October. And assuming that that travel can still happen and I do that, I'm, I'm training for that right now. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing some really extended walks, which is really fun because and I'm alone with my own thoughts for hours and hours at a time. And I'm either listening to great podcasts or great books or talking to people intentionally or just being with my own thoughts and um, exploring them. And, and so exercising and meditation, I would say the two things that come to mind right off the bat that are really, really valuable for me right now. Yeah, I love that. And I like that you say that it's become the rudder for you kind of of your day. I look at meditation like priming the engine in the morning, you know, kind of gets everything focused, brings you in, quiets you down, gets your mind focused for the day. And, and I like that you say you're meditating now more than once a day because a lot of meditation experts are saying it's really helpful to meditate in the afternoon to kind of bring that energy back, right? Because it really allows you to rest your body and push that stress out. Um, I too have started yeah. meditating now in the afternoon. Uh, and can I share a book that I read? There? Yes, please. So I read a book called Bliss More, and the author's name is Light, as in light, the opposite of darkness, Light Watkins. And he's, uh, you know, he studied meditation for like 20 years. He's been in, you know, ashrams and 
meditation places in India and, you know, done all kinds of work with gurus, et cetera. And he has produced a book that I believe is really um, in touch with average Joe, like me, who always resisted meditation. And he presents a handful of suggestions and a protocol that, you know, has had me really lean in in a way that I could just make meditation work for me. And it made a big difference for me. I love that. Thanks for sharing. And I'm going to put that in the show notes for the listeners. And that's going to be on my nightstand very quickly so that I can read it. And I just want to just say something before we move on to the next topic, though, is that why do you think it's a question and a statement? I guess it's that most guys, we look at meditation like as foo-foo, like you got to be a hippie, you know, got to wear beads and have long hair and walk around barefoot to meditate. And that's not the case, right? I mean, what was your resistance to it? Are those the thoughts that you had? I, I think I transcended those thoughts. I, if I would have been introduced to meditation like earlier in my adult life, definitely would have had them, you know? Yeah. And that, and, and to be honest, I think that's, if, if someone's having those thoughts, I'll just speak really plainly what's present for me when I, when I hear you say that. That's a lag in evolution that's a lag in consciousness like like when you think of the the greatest performers planet i mean consistently everybody's about are you speaking to meditation or speaking to quieting the mind where they call it meditation or not and you know so my resistance of you know of my later years was more i don't have the time and then when I position it as I could do it for one minute, like it, I no longer had an excuse. And then I kept reading, you know, you know me, I'm a lifelong learner and I love learning and growing and, and everybody, you know, that I read about are doing things to quiet the mind. So I'm like, I can't ignore this. And so that, that had me stay with it and, and get to the place that I am. Yeah. I love that. And that's the truth. I mean, Everybody that you see that performs at a high level, like you said, whether it's executives, athletes, you name it, they all have a meditation practice. They do, all of them. It just, it, it, it's, I mean, meditation's been around for what, 2,000 plus years, I think they said? Something yeah, like somebody, somebody got it right long before we ever came along. And we <laughs> yeah. Could, we could pay attention to that. Yeah, cool. Well, let's transition into something that I think is extremely interesting, which is extraordinary listening. I want to talk about that. Um, of course, being the host of a podcast, you have to develop your listening skills. So I'm going to shut up and let you talk. Well, the first thing that I hear when you use the term extraordinary listening is that is a distinct term from just listening. Like I, I hear that as you being very intentional in creating that phrase, extraordinary listening. And what occurs to me when you say that is what's present is intention. And if you were to ask me, you know, I don't use the term extraordinary listening. You've said it. And what I believe is present when you say it is this intention or intentionality that when you're with someone, it is being super intentional to really not just hear, but have someone have the experience of being heard. And that to me is different from just hearing. 
And, and man, when I feel heard, boy, I experience a real connection and appreciation with the individual that I'm with or a group that I'm with. And I think it's an incredible gift to give another person. It's like, it builds trust like in seconds. Um, it, it allows, because of that, it allows you to go nearly anywhere in a conversation. So when I think of extraordinary listening, I, I start connecting dots. And my experience of that is, man, I can sit with somebody for the first time and in very short order through what you call extraordinary listening, I can be in a conversation with that person that they're likely not in with some of the closest people in their whole life. And I've had people say that to me, like we get to the, the, the end of a conversation. People say, I can't believe I just told you that. Mm. And, and I believe that occurs in large part through what you call extraordinary listening, where they have the experience of being heard. And through that experience, it builds this, you know, just this cocoon of trust and, and appreciation and mutual respect and connection. And, and all of that breaks down walls of context that has us be able to go anywhere in short order. Mm, that's really good stuff. So oh, that's good. So I, the question that I have for you is why do you think that as a whole, we're bad listeners? You know, we always want to talk more than listen. And then how do we build better listening skills in your opinion? Yeah, man, great question. So why are we often, we being the human race, ineffective at listening? Um, I, I think we could do a whole podcast on this, by the way. Um, you know, a number of factors are at play. So one is there's a lot of noise out in the world, right? There's a lot of things vying for our attention. And so because of that, it's hard to stay focused. Um, two, I don't believe we've ever been taught how. You know, one of the things that I'm so appreciative of as I think about having my kids in a Montessori school and getting a Montessori education right now is, um, you know, there's an there's a element of the curriculum called peace class. And one of the parts of peace is uh, being a good listener, having people feel heard. And it's like, what an extraordinary skill to teach young people. So, so one, there's a lot of noise in the world, a lot of distractions. Two, we don't know how. Um, three, you know, we're, we're sort of, if I could speak really plainly here, we're sort of caught up in our own shit. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we have stuff going on in our mind all the time and it's spinning and it's buzzing. It's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. Or I want this or I want that. Or, or, or I'm aware that I've got like, something doesn't feel right. I can't quite put my fingers on the pulse of what that is. But when we're feeling anxiety, which is typically, um, uh, the, co the cognitive dissonance of what it is we want and where we're at or what's actually happening, the experience of that actually happening in our lives. Like that produces anxiety mm. and that that'll like, if, if we're experiencing low level anxiety, man, it's going to be really hard to be present 
and slow down because like we just want to squash that feeling inside of us and that thing is so distracting so that that's how i would answer the first part of your question why are we ineffective listeners um and to your second question which is a perfect follow-up question how do we become more effective listeners is this the second question yes sir yes yeah um Yeah, for starters, like a tactical element to that answer is we got to slow down. We just got to slow down with ourselves and with people. And and here's what I would say. You know, as human beings, we want what we want. And pretty much everything that we want is going to require us getting performance and response from other people. Mm. And one of the most effective ways to get performance and responsiveness from other people is to have them feel heard and understood and to have that occur authentically. Like people have an experience of us, like we don't have an agenda. And the way to do that is to actually be open to the idea that if we help enough people get what they want, they'll give us what we want. Mm -hmm. And how do we help people get what they want? Well, we got to know what they want. And the best way to know what they want is to really discover through extraordinary, what is it that's important to them? What's important to you? Why is that important? And to sort of set our agenda aside and to really just be with someone. And another tactical approach is, you know, when we ask a question and somebody answers, we say back to them what we heard. Hey, what I heard you say is the the question that you wanted me to answer is, you know, why are we not good listeners and and how do we become good listeners? Is that right? Is that accurate? And, and, And by the way, would you, if you could actually build a habit doing that, it'll be remarkable. At least it was for me when I started doing that, that the thing that I said back to somebody was not actually what they said. And it was like, Oh, well, say it. Great. I'm glad I asked. Say, say it again. Oh, okay. So you want, so it's, da, 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 da. yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a gateway at least. That's a, that's an opening door into becoming a more effective listener. And certainly there's a, there's much more there, but, that's how I would initially answer that question. Yeah, I agree. And I think what we'll do is we'll book another time to just talk about listening and how to build better listening skills. But, you know, as you were speaking and I was listening to you, I was thinking, man, these skills are not just so important in business, but think about in your relationships. I would guarantee you ask most wives, their biggest complaint is my husband doesn't listen to me or he half listens when I'm speaking. I know I'm guilty of it. I've had my wife say it to me. And I think what you're saying is you've got to be present, right? You got to put down the cell phone, turn off the TV or whatever and say, okay, I'm present, speak. Or if you're on a sales call, like you said, bring value. Don't worry about what you're trying to get. Listen to them. What's their pain? What's their problem? And how can you help them solve it, right? So totally. we got to do better at listening. So let's transition from listening into language mastery, right? So now we've mm. listened, but now we've got to communicate back. And by the way, yeah. before I ask my question, I love yeah. that you said 
when somebody asks you a question, repeat it back to them. I just was reading a book and that's what they said, like the number one skill to have for building great listening is to do exactly that. So kudos, my brother. Yeah, great. <laughs> Good stuff. So, so let's talk about language mastery. Um, what is it? How do we build it? How do we get better at our language and communicating? <laughs> yeah, you've hit on some really small topics here. Just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, well, language mastery to me is the ability to use language to produce an outcome. Mm. I like that. And my experience of most people in the domain of language is that there's a lack of focus. And given that lack of focus, there's an exponential use of words when likely 10% or less would suffice and produce clarity. Mm. And so to build on that, one thing we could point to is that in order to produce outcome, and let's say it would involve another person, that person would have to be really, really clear about what the outcome is. Mm. They'd have to be really clear about the impact of that outcome on them and any elements of their life. And they'd have to be clear that the outcome that I desire aligns for them, like that they would want it. Mm. So all of those elements are required to produce outcome. And we can and ought use language to discover those things in another person. And the way to get to that clarity is to do so being as succinct and articulate as we possibly can be. Because any, any additional language or words that are used likely have the impact, sorry, let me say that more succinctly. Any additional amount of language we use that does not directly produce clarity is going to have the impact of getting in the way of clarity and of people not understanding who we are, what we're about, why we want it, what the impact is on them, and, and whether or not they align to it. And so, so this idea of language mastery is about, well, let me, let me say it differently. Language mastery, I would suggest, goes hand in hand with listening. Agreed. And 
the more clear we can be in our language, the more concise we can be in our language, the much greater efficiency we will have in producing clarity. And once we have clarity, it's like two people can have a really direct, seamless conversation in a way that's, that, you know, can be nimble and be flexible and, you know, people are tracking each other. But when there's a whole lot of extra language, it's like, it's, it's like, um, you know, it's like, it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Mm. But if you clear out all the hay and you've just got, you know, dirt, then the shiny needle will show up in the dirt. And it's like, oh, it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, tell me how I'm doing so far. <laughs> You're doing great. Because as you were speaking, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, what he's saying is be succinct. But really what I'm thinking is, okay, to master language, first and foremost, you got to listen. Then you got to learn to ask great questions. So then you can communicate back effectively. And I love the idea of being succinct. I think... I think you would agree that most people, especially when they feel anxiety or they feel less than somebody else when trying to communicate, they over-communicate. They use words that they don't need to use. Would you agree? Yeah. 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 And, you know, when we start to put together, there's other elements to this, this um, concept here. When we start to put together listening and then we add language to it, and you talked about asking powerful questions, we, we get access to a concept that my coach, Brandon Craig, and, and our uh, corporate coaching firm, Ontecore, um, has, has produced called the model of relating. Mm. And the model of relating is this masterful process of listening, speaking, using language, and being with another human being or group of human beings that when, when exercised masterfully um, produces a relating experience. And a relating experience is one where two or more human beings feel completely heard and understood and there is no context that is in the way of them producing whatever they've sought out to produce together. And so there's a, there's a whole lot more to this concept, the model of relating. But when I think about where we've gone in this conversation and you've asked me about listening and you've asked me about language mastery and I put, you know, being in it and part of being is, being non-judgmental when you're with someone would be one element of the model of relating. And there's several other elements, man. What happens is we set our agenda aside. We, we throw, you know, we throw ourselves over the wall of context. Context is the, the differences they, that we have that are in the way of, of you and each other, you and I relating in a way that, you know, has us feel heard and understood and being really deeply connected. And when I'm on your side of that wall, it's like you experience me like just being with you, being fully present with you, really hearing you, 
and, and authentically desiring to have you be heard and caring about you in that way. And when that happens, when somebody has that experience, they're feeling related to. And what happens is then their wall of contact comes down. Like they're, you know, people say the wall goes up. Yeah. I'm just furthering what that means. That's, that's yeah. the wall of context. That's context is your experiences and my experiences and the differences that we have with one another. And when somebody puts their wall down, it's like they start to open themselves up and now we can get somewhere with each other. Now we can yeah. actually do something together in a really efficient way. So man, I, I said a lot there. Uh, yeah. I hope it was all amazing stuff. No, no, no. It was phenomenal. Thank you. And uh, what I like there at the end is, is what you're talking about, which is what I say is, you know, um, losing my daughter was the hardest thing I've ever lived through, but it was also a gift for me because it allowed me to take off my mask and step into my vulnerable self, the real Michael. And I think at the end there, that's what you're kind of saying is let down your wall, step into who you really are and stop being afraid of it. And I think I'll let you answer this and then we'll move on to the next topic. But I think the reason that we all have these walls and we're afraid to take off our masks is because we're so worried about what other people think of us. Would you agree? I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And this is where the work that I do that you and I have done in the domain of leadership is so incredibly valuable. See what you just said, I, I believe in to be accurate, that we're afraid to be vulnerable and be our true selves because we're afraid of how we're going to be judged, how we're going to look, we're afraid of looking bad or looking silly or being embarrassed or whatever. And if you can recognize this in human beings, then as a leader, you can actually be with another person in a way that removes that concern. Mm. And you produce, you can produce as a leader a safe space and environment. And you do that by using your language, exercising extraordinary listening skills, and, and asking powerful questions that has another person recognize you're interested in them, not in just getting somewhere for your own uh, pursuit. Yeah. And man, it's, it's such a powerful thing to be with another human being when they let their guard down and they're vulnerable and, and to experience a deep connection. Like, like for me, there's, there's not a lot more that I would experience in my life than experiencing a deep connection with another human being. I agree. Just, just you saying that man gave me chills because I was thinking the same thing and it's what we crave as human beings is connection. That's why we're all struggling right now with this stay at home order because we can't connect face to face as human beings. And so, look, we didn't rehearse that. I love how it all just kind of tied together there at the end because mm -hmm. it's, it's the way it is. And, and my mission, my goal is to help as many people as I can step into this place of vulnerability. I call it the inner child, little Michael, you know, where we can be creative and we can have fun and we're not worried about what the world thinks about us. It's such a free place to be. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, that's a beautiful mission, man. That's What I would say about it is 
that was possible for people who take on what you and I are talking about right now and, and really seek to learn what it is we're talking about and practice it is it creates an, an upgrade in the experience of the everyday living of one's life. Agreed. Like every single moment can, can and would be an upgrade. It would be to be more freedom, more joy, more possibility every moment to be in the place that you and I are talking about. I agree. I agree. I couldn't have said it any better. So I know you don't have a lot of time, Mark, and we could go on this forever, but I want to get to these other couple topics here, which is sure. you use something in, in your life and in your coaching called agreements. Mm. I want you to expand on that because it's so powerful. And yeah. I think all of my listeners can benefit from it. So I'm going to shut up and let you talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So agreements is a specialized term for me, for, for Ontecore, for the work that we do in this, in this leadership coaching. And, and an agreement, the way that I would define an agreement is, is as a, a co-created promise between two or more people that would have each party know what they can count on from the other. Mm. And man, I don't know about you, Michael, but as I move through my life, one of the most incredible things in the world is to be able to fully, like fully, and completely count on another person. And I got to tell you, I don't have a lot of experiences of being fully able to count on another person. Agreed. And so agreements are, um, you know, a powerful concept that when used, create relationships of performance and performance is when somebody fulfills on what they said they would fulfill upon when they said they would fulfill upon it and they do so with excellence. Mm. And that's what we want from people, right? Yeah. We want people to do what we want or what they said they would do by when they said they would have it done by. And we, we want the thing to be done superbly. That's what we want. That's performance. And agreement um, is a, is a, specialized term and concept that can be utilized in relationships to help produce performance. And so, and so it's worth mentioning that agreements are the opposite and are distinct from expectations. An expectation is, is thinking that performance will occur in another person without uh, the express consent that it will occur. So in other mm. words, saying that more succinctly, thinking something will occur when it hasn't been expressed will. Got it. And people operate 
all day long on expectations. And constantly what's happening is they're being disappointed. Yep. And, you know, expectation, like the E-word in my life and family and, and world, that's like, that's a, that's, a, that's, that's, that's more toxic than the F-word mm. is the E-word. Agreed. And it's like, man, if somebody is, is in my life and they have an expectation of me, I am looking to ferret that out. And, and be with somebody in a way where I simply ask them, do you have a request of me? Mm. If you have a request of me, I'll, I'll be with that request. I'll either honor the request if it aligns for me or I won't. And either way, you'll know. And that way, you won't be disappointed in this domain any further. Simplifies like you, You'll know what you have over here. And whether you can count on me for the thing or not, either way, you can count on me. You've got certainty about whatever the thing is that we're talking about or that you want. So, so an agreement is this co-created promise between two or more people that would have each party know what they can count on with the other. And one key element of that definition is the co part of co-created. And the co part means each individual knows exactly what it is that we're talking about and aligns to it. In other words, it works for them fully. And there's nothing about the agreement that we have that doesn't work. And in order to do that, like I've got to be with a person in a way that gives space for them to say what doesn't work for them. Mm. And they got to give space for me, for me to be, be able to say what it is that I would like us to be in agreement about and what works for me, and what doesn't. And so there's, there's equality in that way. There's no hierarchy in an agreement. There's equality in it. And then we're really clear on what the thing is that we're in agreement around. Uh, we're really clear what activity is happening for each party. And we're really clear when it's going to happen by, and we're really clear what success looks like in it. So like an example that I use is, is um, you know, people have an so, like, for example, a, a, a high performer has a team member or an assistant, let's say. And let's say that they, they expect their team member to uh, contact the, the client on behalf of the business. And the team member says, like, okay, great, yeah, I'll contact the client. Well, what you and I would define as success in contacting the client could be totally different. Like how fast you do it, when you do it, by what medium of communication you do it in, you know, how you're with the client, the questions you ask, you know, your, your disposition with the client, like all of that could be completely different. Mm. And so an agreement, it, it like, it, it ferrets all that out and it gets us fully aligned in what success looks like. And, and then, you know, produces performance out of each party. And I use agreements certainly in my coaching work with all my clients. Um, you would know that, Michael. Yep. Um, I use agreements in my, in my personal life. I have agreements with my wife in, you know, how we divide and conquer the, um, the elements of running our household. I have agreements with my wife around intimacy. I have agreements with my kids around the time that we'll spend together. I have agreements with my kids around 
um, we have agreement as a family around what our family's values are and how we treat each other. And like it goes on and on and on because it's just a really an efficient and productive way to be in, in a relationship to get performance in a relationship. Yeah. So there's a lot more that I could say about agreements and expectations, but those are some of the, you know, the, the key points that I would speak to yeah, in the well, concept. You nailed it. And I think that, you know, just using agreements, forget about business for a minute in your family life with your spouse you know, your partner, your, your kids. I mean, how powerful, right? You're focused, you know, exactly where you're going. Everybody's on board. Everybody's in agreement. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. It's clean. It is. I love that word. Yeah. Produces cleanliness in relationships. Mm. It's like anything that's messy in a relationship likely could be handled by having a clear set of agreements. Yeah. I love that. All right. I want to get to this topic because we're running short on time for you. Right now, a lot of people are suffering, right? They're suffering physically, mentally, you know, a lot of psychological issues going on. And, and I've been talking about this a lot, which is, you know, if you think about it, for the last, let's see, what, what the economic downturn was 2008. So for about the last 12 years in this country, it's been smooth sailing, especially for younger people, right? And yep. now we're going through a time that's tough. We know, regardless of what's going to happen, you know, the economy is going to take some time to bounce back. It's, gonna, it's not going to be as easy as it was. And I want to talk about mental toughness because I think a lot of people, especially younger generations, but I think all of us have gotten a little weak in the, in the mental toughness category because things have been pretty easy for the last 12 years. Um, what are your thoughts on it? You know, how do we cultivate it? I have my opinion, but I would love to hear yours. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. It's an important question to ask. It's an important thing to be taught. Important thing to learn. So how I would define mental toughness is that an individual can remain neutral or or better you know better could look like calm cool collected powerful powerful not forceful but powerful insightful patient joyful happy like you know neutral or better mm. despite what's happening outside of them And I think a great illustration of this is I remember um, way back in 2006, I moved my life, my wife and I moved our life down from Toronto, Canada, where we were working with a sales training company that you referenced in my bio. And we exited that business and we came down to Florida where I had some family and there was an opportunity that I, that I engaged. And one of the guys that, I was, um, that I became friendly with in the company that I was with at the time. Um, he, he was working in this company. It was a mortgage company. And the reason why he was working in it was to make some extra money. But what he was really doing was he was, um, looking to get his PGA tour card. 
So he got, he was a really incredible golfer growing up and he had a bunch of sponsors that got behind him and said, Hey, we think you're amazing. And we think you got what it takes and we'd like to put some money behind you and, you know, um, you know, be a part of your life and and help you make the PGA tour. And so he was down in Florida playing these mini tours and, and I went out golfing with him a few times and dude, I, I tell you, like, I've never golfed with somebody who is this good. Like, you know, and I'm, I'm not a great golfer. You know, I'm lucky if I break 90, right? And this guy would go out and like it was eating a bowl of freaking cornflakes. Like it was nothing. <laughs> like he would shoot three or four under par or more every time we went out. I'm like, dude, you're incredible. Like, and he would teach me and he knew the mechanics. He knew about every club in the bag. He knew about calculating distance. He knew about the mechanics of the golf swing. He knew everything there was to know about golf. And, and one day I said, dude, what, what, what's in the way here? What's stopping you from, you know, winning these mini tours and actually, you know, getting to the point where you could actually get on tour. And he paused and he just looked at me and he just did this. And he mm. pointed to his mind. He said, Mark, he's like, look, I know how good I am. I've been playing since I was, you know, three, four, five years old. I've got every shot in the bag. I've got every shot that Phil Mickelson has. No question. But what I don't have is mental toughness. When, when I strike the ball and it doesn't land exactly where I expect it to, keyword expect in there, by the way, Yep. man, I, I can't stomach that. There's something, it occurs to me like there's something wrong, like I'm not good or I'm no good, and I get spun up, and, and everything that I need to, to remain calm, cool, and collected to strike the ball effortlessly so it does go exactly where I desire it to go, goes out the window. And the next thing I know, shots are going this way and that way, and they're short or they're long. And, dude, I, I lose it. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a really good definition of mental toughness and what it takes to build it. Yeah. So, you know, what is it, you know, I guess the question we would ask is what is it, what does it require? Mm. It requires slowing down. And, you know, as much as anything, Michael, I'd say what it requires is this concept, a big concept that we don't have the time for. It requires us seeing things for what they are, mm. not for what we we make them mean in our own minds. So, you know, my friend, his name is Steve. He'd strike a golf ball and it wouldn't go exactly where he would expect it or want it to go. And if he could just see that for what it was, is that the ball landed simply five or 10 feet from where he desired it to go and leave it at that. Yep. He could keep his wits about him and, you know, just go walk up to it, pull the right club out and knock it in the pin or close to the pin. But rather, he'd build a story in his mind and he'd make it mean a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, I'm no good. I don't know who I am thinking I could get on this tour. 
I don't have the consistency. And like he'd write a full movie script in his mind. Mm. And then take him right out of the game. Yeah. That voice in your head, you know, I, I, I did a poll with my audience and most guys came back and said the same thing. If there was one thing that they could learn would be to master the voice inside their head. You know? So, yeah. Look, and here I, we are full circle, by the way, what, what would contribute to mastering that voice in your head is much more than anything. Meditation. Mm, yeah. 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 I agree. Um, and, and I've heard it best said that, you know, look, it's about earning confidence. And the only way you can do that is make promises to yourself and live up to them daily. And as you continue to do it, you build internal confidence and that silence is the critic in your head. Right. So that's a, yeah, beautiful. Well said, really aligned with that. Okay. So I got two more questions. They're quick ones before we let you go. Cause I know you've got to get to another call. First of all, thank you. You have dropped some amazing knowledge. I know my listeners are going to want to have you back. So we'll, we'll set up another call in the future to have you on here, but two last questions for you, buddy. So number one is if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Thank you for who you were on earth. And it's really nice to see you here in heaven. Mm, I love that. Yeah. You're doing great work down here on earth, let me tell you. Hmm. All right. And the last thing is, it's a very similar question, but I think it's different, which is what's the mark you want to leave on the world? Wow. Big questions, Michael. <laughs> uh, the first thought that comes to mind is to have those who I was lucky enough to be in their company know that they were seen and heard by me and to be with them in a way that would have them know that they're already enough. Mm. Mm. I love that answer. That's awesome. All right, listen, so I just, again, I want to thank you for being here. The knowledge that you dropped today was phenomenal. You have so much to share with the world and I definitely am going to have you back again. Um, I will put in the show notes where all my listeners can find you. Also a link to that, that book, that you talked about bliss more. And um, I just want to say thank you. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you. I, I love your company. I love the work you're doing with your podcast. I'm inspired by your own evolution over the last five, six, seven years. And um, thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank you for having me here. I appreciate you. It's my pleasure, buddy. The best to you. And guys, remember, as we say here, it all starts with a decision. Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Daily Decision. If you like what you hear, please do us a favor. Share it, like it, subscribe to it, tell your friends about it. And remember, it all starts with a decision.